If you're joining us, um, I want to encourage you. We've been uh, working our way through the book of John and um, uh, different chapters and so on. And we uh, uh, spent our time, first of all, in chapter 11, where we talked about Lazarus, a, a very powerful scripture that is very hard to come to terms with when we think about the delay of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we think about the delay, but then, of course, we thought about the, the whole idea that when we weep, he weeps. And when we shudder, he shudders. And when we experience an internal earthquake within our own lives, he is with us in the earthquake. Um, and we look back and we can see God's timing is, is there. But in the middle of it, we ask ourselves, surely this timing is not correct. We then went on and, and, and thought about you know, that great moment where where uh, Mary and uh, Martha were attending to the disciples. And as the disciples were gathered around the table, Mary rushes out and breaks the ointment and hands the best to Jesus. Martha handed her best as well, of course, by preparing a glorious meal for 17 people. And often uh, we have to bring our talents and our gifts. And Martha's issue wasn't that she was working. Martha's issue was her attitude and often our attitude is the thing that Jesus Christ wants to change. But when Mary broke the perfume, she was expressing a great cost, a great commitment, bringing her best gifts to the Lord. And that's what the Lord looks for us in our own lives, that we are willing, we are willing to, um, to bring our best gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ in what he's given us and the way that he's with us. Then last week, of course, we talked about that beautiful verse when Jesus says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the idea that that snake in the wilderness that was lifted up and those who had been bitten by the snake in the book of Exodus... Uh, and, and we know the story uh, so well. Actually, it's Numbers 21. Uh, we know the story so well about as he, that snake was lifted up. Those that looked at the snake were healed from the snake bites and the poison was gone. And the truth is, is that Christ was lifted up so that the poison in our lives can be freed and we can be delivered. And we can know a fresh life as the poison of sin and death is taken away. Uh, the infinite Christ came into humanity. Why? But to deal with the infinite, as it seemed, problem of man's sinfulness. It took the divinity of Christ to break the power of the curse of sin and death. Cursed is the one that is hung upon the tree. He took the curse, Galatians 3 verse 13, upon himself and was willing to do that. So we're going to move on and uh, from chapter 12 and we're going to begin at chapter 13. And here the, the shadow of the cross is casting. It's, it's present. Although we are only now 15, 18 hours away from the crucifixion, the cross is being, at this time, is being the shadow of the cross is being cast. Soon, in 15 to 18 hours' time, Jesus Christ will be suspended between heaven and earth and will be crucified. 
by being suspended between heaven and earth, he will indeed, without them understanding, bring heaven to earth once again. He again will connect us to the reality of the living God. He will change religion and and faith like never before because from a, a national religion, it will become personal and you and I can enjoy a living, beautiful relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so there's this moment that is happening and he's in the upper room. Theologically, it's called the great upper room discourse that we're entering into. The discourse is the discussion where Jesus, in the beautiful gospel of John, that has such layers of spiritual depth, that if you are one to meditate on scripture, to ruminate on the glory of the words and understand it and meditate on it and allow it to infuse your soul, you will discover that the book of John is so beautifully constructed Instructed that it takes a believer on a journey into the deepness of Christ. And revela- the, the revelation here in chapter 13 through to 17 are the great revelations. In no other gospel do we get a, a close, intimate look at the words of Jesus in the words that we're going to be exploring the rest of this summer. We're going to be stepping into that great discourse that that communicates about the servant love of a believer. We're going to be looking at the area of, of understanding servanthood, understanding love, understanding the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, understanding the reality that exists about of heaven and the glory of heaven, understanding the union that we experience in Christ and understanding Christ's prayer life and the prayer ministry that exists. Those six themes in the next chapters of the great revelation of Jesus Christ will be revealed in these chapters. But we have to start, really, perhaps the hardest point. And that is that he was willing to come as a servant. And as he was willing to come as a servant, we understand that that cost was great to him. Nicholas I, you may not know him, Tsar of Russia. He, for those of you who like a bit of Russian history, he's the grandson of... uh, 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 Queen Catherine, uh, the Empress of Russia, of course. And um, and there's connection there in terms of some historical connection with the Mennonites being invited to go to the Ukraine by uh, his grandmother, of course. And, And there's a lovely story about Nicholas I. Nicholas II wasn't so exciting, although this was the possibly the most uh, richest man in the world at the time. And Nicholas noticed that his, one of his closest friend's son had grown up into a young man of age, the story goes. And as he looked at the young man, and he thought it was time for him to give him his first post within the Russian Empire. So he took the young man and feeling quite fond about him, uh, nostalgic because he fought in the wars and Crimean and so on with his father. He sent the son to a castle on the outer edges of the Russian Empire. At this time, the Russian Empire was, was, was the largest it would ever be. And so they, um, they sent this son to the castle and there he was put in charge of the accounts and put in charge of the money. The problem with this son was that he had an addiction. 
And that addiction drove him and ruined him and wrecked his prospects for life. First of all, he gambled away, fueled by cognac and by big cigars in those smoky rooms as he took the family fortune and as was in a kind of Tolstoy way, got rid of the family fortune by drinking and by gambling and by losing his fortune. Having lost his fortune... He turned his attention to the resources of the castle and the wealth of the Russian Empire. And there he started to gamble the money of the castle. Night after night, month after month, months. Until he realized that a day of reckoning would come. And so he looked at this and as he looked at this he did the accounts and he sat one warm evening... And he added up the figures and he added up, he realized that this was so much money that no man could ever pay, was the exact quote. He looked at this and he decided that the only answer was to kill himself. Took the revolver out of the desk and placed it on the desk. He took his pen and he began to write a letter confessing his crime against the state. He wrote and he wrote and at the end of it, He simply said, this debt is too much for any man to pay. I have chosen this course. He signed his name. He expected to, actually the story goes, to kill himself at 12 midnight. But I guess he fell asleep. Which was convenient. But as he fell asleep, there's something strange about Nicholas I... He was actually known as the most handsome man in Russia. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? But something strange about Nicholas I, because um, he had a little habit of going around all of his castles, all of his outer reaches of his empire, dressing up as a common soldier, and then wandering around and seeing what good job they're doing running his empire. And that particular evening, he arrives at the castle, and as he arrives at the castle... He walks around and he notices that he can't get into the accounts offices. Eventually he gets in and as he walks in he sees the young man, the friend, asleep. He sees the revolver, no doubt sees the glass of cognac. And as he looks at that that revolver he reads the note. Nicholas I pulled out a pen... And well documented and then wrote on that piece of paper under the words, this is a debt that no man can pay. And Tsar Nicholas I wrote, I will pay this debt for you, signed Nicholas I. He walked out and left the castle. The young man woke up and he went to grab hold of his revolver and and as he grabbed hold of this revolver, he looked at the letter and he suddenly realised that there was a signature on it, Nicholas I. He ran to the filing cabinet to try and compare the two signatures and realised very quickly that it was Nicholas I who had signed this and he had come, he had appeared as a common soldier, came to that moment and then took away the debt and the condemnation of this young man. That, of course, is a weak shadow of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. 
It is a remarkable ancient story from that time. But it is a shadow because you and I were condemned. And this is the week, these are the hours where Jesus Christ will come and he will pay the debt. He will pay the price. He will give his life between heaven and earth so that the debt that none of us can pay is paid by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the debt he paid. That is the power of the gospel. And that is the debt that has been relieved from your life and from my life. And although this is noble, God calls us because we are a people that have had, had the experience of having our debts relieved. Our sins forgiven. Darkness broken. The power of death defeated. We can now, and Jesus asks us as he teaches at these final hours that we are called to be people of the towel. Not people of the throne, not people to rule it over, not people to take advantage of others, but we are to be people of the, thr- of the towel. And in John 13, verses 1 to 17, we can draw out three very key points. Point number one, a servant is always driven by love. Point number two, the greatest example for a servant, and the example is... Jesus Christ, who was the greatest servant that came in a, if you like, the uniform of humanity and came and signed and the Lamb's book of life so that you and I can be forgiven and the debt can be paid. He is the greatest example. And number four, it is a challenge to every one of us to be willing to live the way that Christ asks us to live, to be servants. To be people of love. To be people who are committed. This is an immense challenge to every one of us. It's so overwhelming to me at times. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love that little statement, having loved his own. This statement captures the idea that in every activity, in every event, walking the streets of Jerusalem, being on the shores of Galilee, spending time in the hills, teaching and praying, casting nets on the other time side, praying with people who were in trouble, praying with people who needed life. That Jesus is actually saying, I loved you from the moment I met you and I will love you to the very end. I love that thought. Because in your life, with your normal life, the things you get involved doing, with the life that you live, that Jesus Christ, he loves every part of who you are. He loves you. He cares for you. He loves every moment, those evening walks on Mission Creek. I don't know what you get up to. He loves those moments when you um, uh, cycle And he loves those moments as you engage in life, as you play with your grandchildren, with your children. He loves you and Jesus Christ will love you to the very end. He'll keep loving you. He'll keep reaching out to you. He'll keep caring for you. He will love you to the very end. This is what it's it's talking about. I I am committed. He loves you. I love that thought. 
They delight in that. Uh, Michelle and I had three kids away last week. So we went away to, uh, to, um, to Osuyas. We thought as they were at the ark, we might as well watch them. And so um, we went to the ark. And uh, boy, um, what, a, um, what a lovely few days we had. And uh, I, I decided to go for a jog. And as I'm jogging along through the desert... I jumped, I was jogging along, meditating, thinking of the goodness of the Lord, and a rattlesnake jumped out in front of me, and shh, a big diamondback one. It was awesome. It scared me. I ran the other way. Um, and then I thought, oh, I need to do something. I need to Instagram it. Um, I haven't put it on Instagram, but watch for it. But I like to think that in the normalness of my own life, Jesus rejoices and loves me. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he loved his own. And of course, this is the very message that comes through. Because he's teaching us about the example of love. That we should love one another. In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In every way, he was connected to these disciples and he was connected to their journey and he loved them and he wanted to model that love that would make all of the difference in the lives. In the final words of the prayer that Jesus prayed in chapter 17, 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The true heart of a servant, a Christian servant, is one that knows the reality that the love of the Father is in the Son and the love of the Son and the Father is in you and I. That's immense. That's amazing. It's a theological mystery that I have to come to grips with, that I have to welcome within my own life, that, Lord, come and consume me with the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for me. Come and live within me. Come and connect with me. Come and be with me. See, a servant is always driven by a love that comes from God. I don't want to fight with people. I don't want to be resentful towards people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to damage relationships because I have the greatest debt has been paid for me. And that demands that I'm a person and a servant of love. That love consumes us. But notice something. We haven't got the verses on this, but uh, in verse 3. He says it was um, having loved his own where in the world he loved them to the end. Can I, you're praying for people that have walked away from Christ and you're prodigals. Just believe this verse that he will love them to the end. He will love you to the end. And he will love them to the end. Because Christ can do nothing else but love. But to love 
Then the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. You know that so well. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. This is verse 3, by the way. God and was returning to God. He got up from the meal. Identity. Jesus Christ, even though he was beca- became a servant, knew exactly his identity of who he was. And because of his identity, he had nothing to prove and he loved humanity. And his identity was rooted in his relationship with God the Father. When our identity is rooted in the knowledge that we are loved by God, that we are children of God, that God cares us rather than our identity in the things of the flesh, in the things of the world, in what we own, in what we possess, our identity in our ego, our identity in our opinion, our identity in what we possess. Our identity can come from so many places, but your glorious identity comes that you and I are children of the living God. And Christ's power came from the sense of his identity of who he was. He was the divine. He was he was lifted up. He was royal. He was glorious. He was the son of the living God. He was the third, he's in the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Dancing together, conferring with each other, communing with each other, connecting with each other. As as C.S. Lewis puts it, on the great eternal dance that came that the love that he had between the Son and the Father, the glory and the honor that was present. I think we can only truly love others when we sort out our identity in Christ. And I believe that when I understand my identity of who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes me somebody who is willing to take the towel, put it on and to serve people. That when my love is secure in who I am in Jesus, my identity is there that enables me to push back from the table, get down on my knees and wash other people's feet. Why? Because I am a child of the living God. And I'm able to engage in this. And so he knew his identity. Of course, we have to follow his example. A true servant is driven by love, first of all. A second point is that we follow the example of the true servant, which is Jesus Christ. We look at his life. Look at who he is. We see the beauty of what he achieved. So they're all on the dinner table. They're all uh, in the traditional manner. That means they would have leant uh, on their left arm and eaten with their right arm, with their dirty feet going away from the table. Gives you an idea. If I, my kids ever ate food leaning on their left arm, you've got to use your knife and fork properly. Like England. But Dad, we don't live in England. Don't stop. Don't, don't use your one fork. Stop it. No. Uh, but you chose to move to Canada. Uh, I said, I know, Michelle, but I love you. No. Um, 
I'd hate it if they were eating, but this was the ancient way. And they're leaning on their left hand, eating with their right feet, going this way. Jesus pushes back. Now notice, first of all, what happens in this scripture. First of all, and then he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing. You may look at that line and think that that is just a simple line. But in every way, it mirrors Philippians 2, 3 to 6, when he chose to become a servant. This is the practical outworking of Philippians 2. But he got up from the meal. There was a moment in history, a moment in time, when the glory of the sun got up from the glory of the heavens and he took off his outer clothing, his divinity, and was willing to come down into humanity. He put on the soldier's uniform, if you like. He was willing to step down. He got up, he took off his divinity, his outer clothing, and he stepped down into humanity. And he wrapped the towel around his waist. Second point. He took the towel and he wrapped it around his waist. He took the challenge. He was willing to take the mission. He was willing to step into humanity. He was willing to fulfill the calling that God had for him. Number two, he's willing to do that. Number three, after that, he poured water into a basin. He poured the water out. And everything that Christ achieved was the pouring of the out of his life. He poured his life into lepers. He poured his life into the broken. He poured his life into the prostitutes. He poured his life into those who were demonized. He poured his life into the disciples. He poured his life into the community. He poured his blood into humanity to free us from sin and death. Everything would be poured out. And without the pouring out, we don't receive the forgiveness. And little did they know that he was acting out the greatest story of, 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 of humanity, that God himself took off his garments, became a man, that God himself put on a towel to serve humanity, that God himself poured out all that he had within humanity. And bear with me, he poured out into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And every one of us are only loved and forgiven because we have been washed by what Jesus Christ atoned for us on the cross and gave his life. There was a day when I was filthy. There was a day when I was condemned. There was a day when I was lost. There was a day when I had nothing. There was a day when I was an orphan. And one day... I met Jesus Christ and he washed my life and I felt new. I felt alive. Suddenly my life went from a dull black and white TV to suddenly it was a, a, a Dolby Max, massive screen, high definition, K50. It was awesome and I was blind but then I could see. But that only happens to an individual through the washing of Jesus Christ. And he came to wash us. 
He came to cleanse us. He came to take that basin. And he washed his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? (laughs) I love that. But before I get there, let me make some comments about you and I here. That if I'm truly going to engage in the servanthood of Christ in my life, the truth is this, first of all, I have to take off my outer garments. I have to take off what makes me, me as it were, in my flesh. I have to take off my resentment. I have to take off my unforgiveness. I have to take off that that I, I connect to myself, that I somehow I feel that puts me on the throne and I've got to get off the throne and I've got to get on, get on with the towel. I've got to put it off. And then I've got to work out what the mission God has for me and get the towel around me. It could be teaching children in Sunday school. It could be serving the community. It could be being involved in people's lives and discipling them. I don't know what towel God has given you, but the one thing I know, God has given you a ministry. God has given you a calling. God has given you a role, whether it's to break perfume like Mary and bring your best and most expensive, or whether it is to cook a glorious meal. I do not know what your towel is, but every one of you has been given a towel. You've been given a job to do. A role to play. Something to do. And the truth of this is it's not easy because when I take the towel and I do the ministry and I do what Christ is asking me to do, it means I've got to pour myself out. And it no longer becomes about me It becomes about them. No longer comes about I, but it comes about serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it means sometimes it's unpleasant to do this work. It's it's, 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 it's washing dirty feet and drying them with a towel that wrapped around him. But we see Christ in this story, but I see you and I in this story. That he actually calls you and I to be this kind of person. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. Now, now the English is a little bit tame. He actually says, it's sort of the phrase is, no, in English, I suppose, if you were going to make Phil Collins' version, no, hell will freeze over first. Uh, No way. He's turning green. He's becoming Peter the Incredible Hulk at this moment. You shall never wash my feet. No. You know, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Oh, Jesus. He, he, he reacted. Of course, he understood the law. 
the Mishrash, which is the Jewish commentary of the way that conduct should be in Scripture, states that, you know, no master should ever wash the feet of a servant. It was the great Jewish commentaries. They understood this. This was outrageous. This was turning everything upside down. This was against the norm. But you know, everything Jesus does is outrageous. And it's against the norm. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. It's outrageous. And he's getting outraged. I love Peter. You know, in a few hours' time, he's going to be in the garden, and they're going to try and rest Jesus. And what's he going to do? Pull out a sword. And Jesus goes, don't pull out swords. We don't do swords. Honestly. Oh, you've cut his ear off. Don't cut people's ears off. How will they hear the gospel? Um, I've told that joke so many times. About every two years. Um, but but he's, he's fighting against it. He's rebelling against it. He's saying no, for good reason. Everything within you will rebel against the idea of you and I living a life of love, a life of service, a life of giving. We all would rather be Peter going, no, rather than being Christ and bending down. And that's the inner battle within a Christian's life. So he's our greatest example. Unless I wash you, I have no part with me. Then the Lord... Then Lord Simon, replied, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Again, over the top. <laughs> wash my whole body then. Jesus answers, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. A very practical advice. He would have had a bath before he came. Feet get dirty. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Look at that. When he had finished, there was a moment after he was crucified. There was a moment when he was laid in the grave. There was a moment when he walked amongst humanity. And there was a moment when he stood there and he ascended up to heaven and at that moment he ascended up to heaven and he returned to his place, the rightful place of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the rightful place, there seated in the glory of heaven, there the rightful place of the Lamb of God that died for the world. And so you can see how it connects. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the courage, the challenge the heart of a servant is driven by love. The example of a servant is what Christ did. 
And the final point is the courage of a servant for you and I to actually believe that living this way makes a difference. And unfortunately, although it's directed at the world, it is primarily directed at you and I, the Christian community, at you and your wife, at you and your children, at you where you live, at you where you worship, where we learn to love each other and we learn to wash each other's feet. And that is a tough. We'd rather put it out and you know how complicated church life can be. People, people go to church and there's other people in church they loathe and they don't like. And some people leave that church to come to this church because of that. And some people leave this church to go to another church because they loathe this person. Maybe not in Cologne. But, but the challenge is for every one of us is that I am I willing to wash my wife's feet? Am I willing to bend down and to serve? Am I willing? Or am I going to keep my outer garments on, my fallen outer garments? Or am I willing to do? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. This is brilliant here. This is a legal little phrase in the Latin, that describes when he turns the argument around and he's basically saying, hey, if it's good enough for me, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God himself become man, lived amongst humanity, then you better get on and do it because it's good enough for you. That's what he's telling it straight. If I can serve this broken, dying world, then you can serve this broken, dying world. If I can love Judas and wash his feet, then you can wash and love the Judas in your life and forgive them. If I can come and feel the pain of humanity, then you and I, ah, you can serve humanity and put the towel on and to love and care. And I don't know who is your problem. I don't know what is your problem. I don't know what is going on in your life, but I can tell you that when you put the towel on in your life, it will always bring the blessing of God to live as a servant. Wow. I've done it for you. Very truly, I say, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that is you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Notice the word is blessed, not happy. Right? Because we're always thinking about happiness. We're always thinking about our happiness. Happiness is a Greek word that is to do with no deep spiritual um, blessings, no deep spiritual reality. It's I'm, I'm happy. I was happy away with my wife. I had a great time. I was happy when we drove down and I called into Tickleberries and had an ice cream. I was happy. And then when I drove back, I walked in there and there was a busload of Albertans. And the, the, the line was massive. I was unhappy. And so I went to Dairy Queen instead and walked out in a huff 
And I was like, I'm not, I can't be bothered. I'm not doing this. And because Michelle's, you know, not into sugar, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Uh, oh, there's too many foreigners here from Alberta. And, and oh, I'm going to Dairy Queen, was my exact quote, which she's laughed about for days. Tickleberry. That's happiness. It's superficial. It's ridiculous. It's farcical. Blessed is when you know the favour of the glory of the living God in your life. Blessed is when you get down and take the towel that God is calling you to take. Blessed is being willing to pour yourself out to others with nothing in return, but because you love Jesus Christ. Blessed. Um, you may not know this man. He was destined to be a bishop. American. Uh, Samuel Logan. Uh, he was uh, authored so many brilliant books. And, and he wrote to General Booth of the Salvation Army. It was around the same period as the great Nicholas I. And about 1850s, and he wrote to him and said, General Booth, I want to come to England. I want to join your great army. General Booth wrote back and said, mm, you're such a clever guy. You have a lovely green pastorate where you care for your flock. You're destined to be a bishop. Really, I feel that your ego is a little bit too big for our movement. General never minced his words. But... Samuel got on the boat from the Atlantic, from, came across the Atlantic, joined the Salvation Army, the revolution that was happening around the world. And, and the first thing the general did, having talked to Samuel, he said to him, well, I really, I really think you, you're not cut out for this. But the first job I want you to do is clean all the black boots of the army. And Samuel agreed, but he wrote later on in his mind, he was thinking, I've come all of this way to clean the boots of the soldiers that are going out onto the streets to bring the good news of Jesus. That's what I am doing. And then he heard a whisper in his mind that said from the voice of Jesus, I was willing to get down from the table and I was willing to wash the feet of the disciples. Are you not willing to wipe the boots and blacken the boots of my soldiers that are going into the world? And Samuel Logan said yes to that call. And it changed his life. He became the first American commissioner of the Salvation Army. He wrote dozens of glorious books about the holiness of Jesus. But he had to lay off his garment of being the bishop, his garment of being a great academic force, his garment of being the man who came from the glorious parish and something pretty special, and he had to blacken boots. Empty himself, clean the feet, serve the people, and be willing to give his life to the cause. And that's why I find this so difficult. Because you and I, we battle to hand over our lives to Jesus. Maybe I encourage you, I don't know why you came this morning, 
but encourage you to meditate on that great verse in 13, verse 34, about a new commandment I give to you. And meditate on these verses about your close relationships. Meditate on these verses about your marriage. Meditate on these verses about your church life. Meditate on these churches, these verses. You're getting in there, aren't you? Allow the Lord to minister to you and ask him, what towel are you willing to pick up? Let's stand together. Father, as we come to the end of this service, Lord, it is a call to servanthood, a call to reaffirm ourselves before you, a call to say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever that may be. Lord, I pray that you will bless each one of us, that we may rediscover the joy of Christian service, rediscover the beauty of Christian life and rediscover what it is to serve and to follow the example so that we may be blessed, really blessed by your presence. We dedicate our lives to Christ again as we will do for the rest of our lives. And say, Lord, we push away from the table. We take off our outer garments. We take hold of the basin. We place the towel around our waist. And we do what you're asking us to do, Lord. Thank you. It is a privilege. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. Help me to be a servant, Lord, I ask.